I think pass rusher in first round, that's what I would go with. I've heard a lot of Ravens fans reach out to me and say, is there a chance we get Patrick Queen where we're sitting or we have to trade up? I don't think Patrick Queen is there. Is there a chance Kenneth Murray's there at 28? Whatever? No, probably not. Wide receiver for the Ravens, what am I looking for? Well, can you catch a football? Can you block? And are you okay not being the guy targeted 15 to 20 times a game? So end of the day, your pick. We are taking out of the University of Iowa to fill in the giant holes of having an Iowa guy on our team that's gonna be a leader, edge rusher, AJ Epinesa. Welcome into the lounge. We are getting closer and closer to the draft. It's only a week and a day away. How many sleeps is that? Is that seven, eight? Yeah, I'm not that good math at math. Terrible. You know, once I lose, run out of fingers, then I'm, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I think we got, I think we're, there's seven. Uh, yeah, man, I can't wait. Um, it's it's going to be fun. That's seven more nights of minkering. Here yes. we go. Yeah, that's actually, that's terrible for you. That's seven more sleepless nights. Oh, gosh. I seriously do have a pit in my stomach already. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm serious. I, I do love the draft, man. And I get like, I can't imagine how Eric DeCosta must feel because I get nervous about it and, and like nervous, excited about it. I, I honestly think that uh, I get more amped up for the draft than I do for some regular season games. Yeah. Yeah. For some of them, that's, that's probably the case. So yeah. to discuss the dra draft, I know fans have been listening to us discuss it at nauseum for the past month. So we <laughs> wanted to talk to somebody who really has really plugged in uh, and is talking to more people around the NFL than just about anyone else. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right into our interview with Good Morning Football's Peter Schrager. You know, I'm not just saying this because you're coming on our pod right now and doing us a solid, but Good Morning Football is honestly the best show on TV. Wow. Honestly. Wow. Okay. Thank well, you. all right. Maybe, yeah, maybe not best show. I'll say best football show. Okay. How about that? I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> sure. Welcome. <laughs> anyway, you got you to tell us, first of, all, first of all, about your digs here. Where are you at? Tell us, uh, you know, what's around you here. Okay. I want to give you guys the world tour of where I'm at. I am at my in-laws house right now who live in the Baltimore area, and we are rocking with so many Ravens things. Let me get through this real quick. <laughs> We've got the Super Bowl 35 poster. Not your not your Ray Lewis, Joe Flacco Ravens. No, no. The Trent Dilfer, Brandon Stokely Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> that group right there. Um, we've got the last game at Cole Fieldhouse ever played, March 3rd, 2002. Everyone knows where they were when that one happened. And I am just surrounded. There's a Final Four poster from 2002 when the Maryland Terps won it all. I'm literally – there's more Cal Ripken stuff around me right now than I ever cared to see. Uh, <laughs> I'm from New York. I live in New York. We temporarily moved out of our place in New York due to space concerns. Um, so I'm living more or less in a basement with my wife and my son. And we are decked out in Baltimore sports paraphernalia here. And I could not be more pleased. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, well, you know, like when you're at your parents' house or you're at your in-laws' house, those places kind of just are a time capsule. And that's exactly like what you're in right now. Like you leave and your room from high school never changes. Exactly. And everything is still the same. No, exactly. I don't know if I'm going to ruin the shot here, but there's like a giant Cal Ripken book that's that's balancing this this video camera right now. I've read it. Not only did I read it once, I read it twice because there's not much other reading material. I'm like, 
to know about Cal Ripken circa 1995 before he broke the record, like I got it all down because I've read his biography twice. <laughs> now, now, Peter, I moved in with my in-laws during a kitchen renovation. Yes. How how long do you think you can stay at the in-laws' house without going insane? No, they're great. It's going well. Like I I was I was not at all worried, but like I I took a couple of days to adjust of just not being the man of the house necessarily. Um, I'm quite all right being a passenger. I'm fine. Like at like six thirty, it's like dinner's ready. I'm like I'm coming. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. It's good. I'm in. That's awesome. So uh, obviously we want to have you on to talk a little draft. Um, you know the Ravens very well. So let's just start big picture. What do you think they need to do in this year's draft to add some players to kind of get them over that hump and get to that next level? Yeah, I you know, Garrett, I look at this team and it's one of the deepest rosters in the league and yet there's always room for improvement. I think pass rusher in first round, that's what I would go with. I know everyone wants the linebackers heard a lot of Ravens fans reach out to me and say, is there a chance we get Patrick Queen where we're sitting or we have to trade up? I don't think Patrick Queen is there. Is there a chance Kenneth Murray's there at 28? Whatever? No, probably not. But you could get a high-end defensive end or pass rushing type. I look at guys like uh, AJ Epinesa out of Iowa. I look at uh, Yator Gross Matos uh, out of Penn State. These are guys that are playing at a high level and are going to be first-round picks. And because – a lot of teams are going to be overdrafting offensive line, which I don't think is an area the Ravens necessarily need. I think I know Yonda, and you might want to replace that. That'll you'll get to that. I think they could still get pass rush at the end of the first round, and like a good pass rusher, a guy that could contribute in year one. Right. I think what's interesting is you know obviously like you're talking about the Ravens need more sacks. Right. They were near the near the bottom of bottom quarter of the league in sacks last year. You know, but you have Judon and you have Jalen Ferguson coming back. So do you see your Turgaris Matos as being kind of a guy who, you know, chips in and in, in, as a third pass rusher and then maybe potentially takes over for Judon if he weren't signed to a long-term deal or something? Yeah, and I think you're always looking for depth. I think about what Wink does on defense. There are so many guys that come in and make plays. They are like, well, how many plays did he play? How many snaps did he get? And you're like, oh, he only played that many snaps. I felt like he was all over the field because they have such a great rotation up front. I think you add another body in there. You know, I think Brandon Williams might be one of the most underrated defensive uh, linemen in the entire league. I don't think a defensive tackle is necessarily an area for need or a guy inside but you kind of need some of those edge rushers and you need some of those guys at the other end of Brandon Williams, whoever else is going to be going next to him with Michael Pierce gone. Like I like what they have up front. And yet I think you could always add another pass rusher. So you mentioned Kenneth Murray. You think that he's going to be gone. Both the guys, Queen and Murray, you probably spent more time talking about those two guys than anyone else. And maybe just because we love great linebacker play here in Baltimore, but I'm curious to get your perspective on, on Kenneth Murray, because you've said, that you heard from NFL people that at the combine, he had one of the most impressive interviews and the off the field stuff really kind of wowed some of these NFL teams. How do I do it without giving away my source? AFC team. <laughs> top. Is your source Eric DaCosta? No, I was going to say, is it a Raven source? <laughs> and I'll tell you this. Anyone who tells you their source is Eric DaCosta is full of it. Cause he doesn't talk to anybody. <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, AFC team. Coach, not saying if it's a coordinator, if it's an assistant coach, but AFC team coach says, we don't need this guy. We just had one of the best combine interviews I've ever been a part of in 20 years of doing this, this Kenneth Murray. And if you just want to know who Kenneth Murray is, he showed up in Norman, Oklahoma as a 17-year-old, 
okay, was a captain by his sophomore season. And his life story is incredible to even get to where he is. But something that happened when he was 11 years old, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it or you've read some of the articles, his mother, who is a retired police officer, and his father, who is a pastor, adopted three children with special needs and brought him into the Murray household. And Kenneth helped raise those three kids. And he looks at them like as if they're blood brothers and sisters and also considers them dear friends and really the inspiration for him to go out there every day. So he shares his story with this team and he's not doing it in a, hey, look at me or let me tell you why. It's just pretty matter of fact, this is who I am. And he is a leader, a born leader. He is a field general. So you think of the great linebacker leaders of recent history. And of course, Ray Lewis comes to mind. And of course, Brian Erlacher and Bobby Wagner up in Seattle. This coach was telling me, and it's been echoed by several other coaches. Look, I don't know if he's the best sideline to sideline. I don't know if his 40 is going to be the best. But when it comes to a guy who is going to step on the field and demand respect and be able to call out the plays and know what a locker room is all about, it's Kenneth Murray. So you hear that and you start thinking, oh, gosh, is, that, is there more of a Raven than what you hear right there? Like, <laughs> right. That is a perfect fit. And yet I don't think he's still around at the end of the first round. Can I give you a name? that has gotten a lot of buzz over the last few days. And it wasn't even like weeks that I've heard about, not necessarily for the Ravens, but another linebacker in the mix, a guy that you probably haven't done as much work on Jordan Brooks out of Texas tech, this lightning fast linebacker who's battling a shoulder injury right now. But apparently he is a guy that might slip into the first round and might be there at the end of the first round after Simmons, Murray, Queen are off the board. Hmm. Well, do us a favor and and stop talking about Murray, okay? You're selling him a little too hard. And all these coaches and GMs are going to watch you. And now there's no chance he's coming to the Ravens at 28. So just keep it quiet. quiet. Not a position you necessarily see drafted so high. Last year, the Buccaneers took Devin White in the top five. And I think I remember like, "Ah, do you take a middle linebacker? Like Patrick Willis a few years ago. Keekly, of course. Well, and the Steelers traded up. Steelers traded up to get, you're right, Devin Bush. Bush. Um, but not like you see 11 linebackers off the board. So there is a chance that if Queen goes and Simmons goes, there is a chance if the Ravens want to trade up, maybe not 20 picks, but trade up five or six picks, Kenneth Murray could be theirs. Well, so Eric DaCosta had kind of a conference call with reporters the other day, and uh, we asked him where he thought Murray was going to go. He goes, ah, top 40. When you hear that, is that Eric just, you know, a little smoke screen? (laughs) What are you thinking on that? Look, it's the position because if you look at this this NFL right now, protect your quarterback, right? Get your yeah. offensive tackles. I think you guys feel pretty good about Zeus and, and Stanley. Like those are, you're set, right? You don't need that. Get your quarterback. I think uh, with an MVP, I think you're pretty good at that position. <laughs> and then of course, get your pass rushers. You guys have pretty solid pass rushers across the board. And in this draft, it's offensive tackles. It is wide receivers and it's pass rushers that are really deep. Teams might be reaching to start getting those guys and might overdraft them, meaning middle linebacker, which most teams have their guy or inside linebacker, don't value it as much as pass rush and protecting the quarterback. Those guys could slip. I'm telling you, if Murray's there at 28, I would expect that would be the pick. And if he isn't the pick and he slips out of the first round, it's something that I didn't know about as far as the player on the field. Right. So you bring up wide receiver. As a, as a Baltimore guy, a guy who married into a Ravens family yeah. here, I'm sure you've heard a lot about wide receivers over the years, and the Ravens need to get some. What do you expect? Like, What kind of wide receiver? Who are some guys that you think maybe you know that could interest the Ravens? Could they go there in the first round? What do you expect them to do at wide receiver in the draft? 
hold on. Let me get my brother-in-law's Brashad Perryman jersey. I think <laughs> wow. Ouch. Yeah. No, it's, no. And he's still, Perryman had a good season last year. Guys. Yeah, it's true. He kind of turned it around. Um, but yes, uh, it's, you know, there's been moments where the, that position has been really good. I mean, Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden were two of the best uh, to ever play the position, and they had great seasons. Torrey Smith, obviously a legend. And yet you look at this last last season, that there's got to be a lot of reason for optimism after what Hollywood Brown did in that playoff loss. Like, mm-hmm. Hollywood was amazing in that game, and he was finally fully healthy and looked good. And then if Boykin can, can be anything on the other end, you've got two guys from the same draft class that you kind of like, and, of course, those other guys – um, are kind of filling the hole guys who know they're not going to get 30 targets a game in this offense or not get 10 targets a game and they're pretty happy. So wide receiver for the Ravens, what am I looking for? Well, can you catch a football? Can you block? And are you okay not being the guy targeted 15 to 20 times a game because you're likely the third wide receiver, which means blocking is important, five to 10 targets maybe, and then, oh yeah, can you learn our offense and be where you need to be when Lamar is going to get it to you? I, you know, I, I look at that Ravens offense. I still, as much as everyone wants to make Lamar Jackson into, you know, the, the, this 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 dynamic passer, their offense isn't dictated that way. You're going to throw the deep shot to Hollywood. You're going to get the tight ends involved, and you might get a number two wide receiver have eight or nine catches in a game. But it is not going to be ten targets for all three wide receivers. And you guys know that, so I don't see it as as high a priority as maybe some outside. Uh, the organization or some in the media are looking at it as. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Lamar, it, it's hard to build off of an MVP season when you already have that kind of a year. But what do you think is the progression for him? Like last year, it was all about take a step as a passer. And he obviously did that and, and had a much better passing season, much better overall season than anybody expected. So what's the next step for him? I think, you know, it's crazy to say that, right? Like, but look at what Mahomes did last year. Like there was no way he could be better and Mahomes might have had a better 2020 than he did 2019 and certainly had a better postseason. So this is not going to make headlines, but like, all right, now Lamar's 0-2 in the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. now it's time. Like, let's go win a playoff game. And I know it's, you have to wait till January, but I remember Kirk Cousins last year had all these big wins in the regular season, and I kept on saying on Good Morning Football, I don't care. Like, it doesn't, this doesn't do anything for me. Like, I, see me in January. Cousins goes into New Orleans, beats Drew Brees and the Saints, and I'm like, all right, like now, now you, you've done that next level. Like after MVP, what's the next accomplishment? I don't think anything individually is what we're looking from Lamar. Like, can you say he could become a better passer? He could throw into a tighter window? Sure, that's all, that's any quarterback going into year three. But for Lamar Jackson to take the leap, it requires the team to take the leap. And I think going what, what'd you guys go? 14 and two last year? Yep, yep. Unbelievable season. It needs more. It needs that January victory. And I'm not saying he has to win a Super Bowl, but we need to get off that schneid and you need to win a playoff game next year for Lamar to take the next step. Yeah. I, I felt like, you know, there was so much pressure that Lamar put on himself. You know, after it happened in his rookie season, he goes in and he loses his first playoff game. And then he goes into the Titans game and they get up early. You know, you, you could kind of see him put that on his shoulders a little bit. Did you kind of see that? And, and how does a guy who starts his career as amazing at, as it has been, 0-2 of the, in the playoffs, how do you get over that hump? Yeah, and, and you could say, hey, if he converts one of those fourth and ones, which you guys converted every single time in the regular <laughs> yeah. season, talking about a different game. And I'm not questioning any of the analytics or Harbaugh's decisions, but I watched that game back recently. I mean, not because it was on TV, just because there's nothing else to do, and I figured <laughs> I'd go back and watch it. Um, 
And there's a situation where it's, four, you know, they're down 14-6 in the, in the third quarter. And it's like, you kick the field goal, it's 14-9. There's a million ways you could dissect this. But Lamar threw the ball pretty well in that game. Like Hollywood played really well in that game. Mark Ingram was injured in that game. There's a million ways you can pick this thing apart. And, and I don't think you can look at Lamar and saying, hey, if you had done this, the following week, we've got Kansas City coming into our building in the divisional round. Like that wasn't that type of game. A right. million things happened and the Ravens just could not get out of their own way when in the regular season it was they were this unstoppable team. So I, I don't know what I would tell them. I'm not a quarterback coach. I'm not John Harbaugh. But I know Lamar just a little bit. A couple production meetings, a um, couple interactions, got to hang out with him before the NFL honors this year down in Miami, and he could not have been cooler and more confident. He was with his mother. They were both tremendous. And Lamar knows what the score is. Like, he knows the deal. He enjoyed wearing that orange jacket and getting the MVP and saying what it is. But, like, just like Mahomes kind of felt like there was unfinished business last year when they lost to the Patriots in the playoffs when he accepted his MVP, you can sense that Lamar knows. This is all good and well, and I appreciate this. This is cool, and it's fun, and I'll never forget it. Let's go win the chip. And that's what I kind of got from Lamar. And that's, that's all he needs, like the motivation to make that, take that next step. Mm-hmm. If you're, it's never too early to do projections. If you're doing projections right now, are you putting Kansas City and Baltimore in the AFC Championship? Yeah, yeah. You know, Patriots. I got to see what they're doing at quarterback. Right. Bills. I felt like that was an all-time collapse in Houston. Houston lost their best receiver. Like, I'm thinking about the other teams. And Tennessee was a nice run, but they lose Conklin. They lose Jarrell Casey. Like, those are big players. Baltimore and Kansas City to me. If I'm CBS and they carry those AFC games, like. I'm doing flips because I will always tune in to see Mahomes. And after last year, I will always tune in to see Baltimore. And I don't think they would have any problem with those two teams in an AFC championship. Yeah. I mean, I think there's potential. This is probably the dream scenario, but I think that there's potential uh, for that Mahomes Lamar and they have, it hasn't happened yet in the playoffs, but, but for that to be a, a, a Brady, yeah, a Manning. Brady Manning. I mean, say it. It's fine. Yeah, you know that's that's. I'm thinking big here, but like it, there's potential for it to get to that kind of a level. Yeah, and like there's like weird things that happen. This all like, are the Colts going to be good this year? Because Philip Rivers wasn't great last year, and the Colts right. have a good team. Like, is that an upgrade from Brissett? I don't know. What are the Patriots? I have no idea. Does Cleveland show us what they kind of saw two years ago at the end? And then the team that I think is the biggest question mark, and a team that a lot of people are like wait and see on what the heck are the Steelers this year? Like still a really good defense. And when he's out there, Ben Roethlisberger is significantly better than duck Hodges. Like I, I I think the Steelers might be good again. So the AFC is wide open and I didn't, you know, I don't even know who the chargers and dolphins are starting at quarterback. Right. How how hard does your wife's family take uh, a Ravens loss and how much do you hear about it on text threads? Bad. And like (laughs) that, like, all right, there was a couple, like the, the Browns won in the regular season last year. That was early, right? Like week four. Yeah, week yeah. four, yep. Um, everyone was riding high on Lamar. They lost to Kansas City, but like he still felt pretty, pretty good. And then they just <laughs> right, right. like my wife went to that game and she like texted me. She's like, I'm I'm done going to Ravens games. Like they win when I'm not there. Like one of those type deals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the playoff game, like, you know, bad weather, Saturday night, all this hype. Everyone's excited. And then you knew it was over by like, you know, third quarter. I mean, I they were they were despondent. And I think that's the Ravens fan base. They live and they breathe and they love the Ravens. Like I don't, I don't fancy myself TV star or anything like that, but like I'll go into the, you know, the, the giant over here in, in Owings mills. And people are like, 
Schrager, good morning football. You guys are <laughs> nice to the Ravens. I'm like, yes, it <laughs> happen in other cities. Like these Ravens fans are on an all-time high when the Ravens are great, but they really feel it when the Ravens have a disappointing loss. Yeah. I'm curious. You, you mentioned Eric DaCosta and how anybody who says that he's their source is a liar. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever texted DaCosta and he just like just ghosts you? Or, <laughs> <Yes>. or, or what? <laughs> he's not. I mean, he's the nicest guy in person. And like you go up to him, like I have a good relationship with him. We'll text and stuff. But like football stuff, no. That's there's a lot of guys like that. Like Tom Telesco with the Chargers is maybe the nicest guy in the world. But like he won't even try to be coy. Like you text him football stuff. He's like, I don't talk about that stuff on text. And anyone who <laughs> thinks that they are getting stuff from Eric DaCosta, unless you're, I don't know, Chad Steele, Kevin Byrne, or maybe Patrick Gleason, the PR staff, I, I, I find them to be liars because Eric <laughs> has kept it so close to the vest for so many years as a number two. And now it's the number one. There's no, did anyone know they were taking Hollywood Brown last year? No, that did not get, you know, no one knew that until it actually happened. And I think it's better off that way. Right. Well, Lamar Jackson, the all time coup. That was, that was, that was (laughs) quite, I mean, to trade back in and get Lamar, it was wild. I had them taking Lamar in the first round, but I had them taking him with the Hayden Hurst pick. I thought they, or whatever it was, they traded back, but like 15. They didn't take quarterback at 15, and everyone's like, told you Lamar's not a first-rounder, told you. And it <laughs> worked out pretty well. He probably should have gone a little earlier than 32. So, so do you think this draft, it, it, that it kind of favors the Ravens because it's so wacky, right, and teams just don't have as much information? Does Are there teams that are going to be in better situations than others, and are the Ravens one of those? I think this is a good – like, here's how I see it, and I could be wrong in whenever the draft happens in a couple of days, but, like, I don't see all these trades in the first round. I think Hmm. teams have their draft board set. They know the top talent because they've been scouting them. They saw them at the combine. They met their – like, I could see it being pretty straightforward in the first round. But as you guys know, the Ravens make their hay on days two and day three, and that's when I think the wheeling and dealing really occurs because I could tell you straight up, I've got teams – and I don't do the, hey, my phone is blown up. Like, I've got guys at teams who – typically would not be asking my opinion, asking my opinion, where do you know, like other teams have this small school (laughs) prospect? Like, what do you think? Is this guy day two or this guy day three? I think there's a lot more confusion when it gets to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. And I think the Ravens being so well-respected, so buttoned up with DaCosta and Joe Hortiz and all those guys and George Coquille, like all the legends that you hear about in Ravens lore working under Ozzy. A lot of them are still there and they're pretty buttoned up and they're pretty dialed in. I think that's where they have the advantage as far as other teams, maybe being a bunch of new guys grouped together with a new coach and a new coordinator and a new system. Like the Ravens know what they're looking for and they've known it for several years. Before we let you go, I'm curious, how many texts or calls do you get when the, like the last 48, 24 hours before the draft from different guys saying, Hey, can you put out there that we like this guy? Like how much is your phone blowing? Because all of a sudden you become somebody that people want to get information out to the masses through. Okay. So Garrett, I'll give you this. I never get the ask from a team ever to be like, can you put this in your mock draft so that there's a smoke screen or can you tweet this? What you will get is the agent texting you saying, hey, I'm hearing a lot of late, late in the process, first round buzz on my guy. And, <laughs> and it's a guy that you text one team, they're like fourth round grade. Like there's no first round buzz. And I've been burned by it before. 
where I'll put like a guy in the end of the first round and he'll be like, where did that come from? And be like, just wait. And then he goes in the third or fourth and you just have to learn your lessons on that. Like what the agents tell you necessarily doesn't benefit you as a progress, as a progress, what's it called? Prognosticator. Prognosticator. Them as an agent so they can look at the parents and say, see, here's why you signed with me. I got Schrager to say this, this, and this. And I've learned my lesson over the years. What you will see though are straight out lies. Like, You'll hear from a team and you got to really read the room a little bit or read your phone a little bit. And a team will say to you, uh, we don't like this player. We like this guy. And then two days after the draft, you go back and they took the player, not that guy. And that's when you have something to say. It's like, Hey, you lied to me straight up. They're like, I know. Well, think. you just got to be careful. Yeah. I owe you a beer. Exactly. <laughs> I'll see you at the combine. My bad. Or I was actually a fan of that guy. It was someone else in the room who liked the other guy and whatever. So, there is a lot of like smoke screens that are being done, but like it's never telegraphed as mm. clearly as, Hey, do me a solid say we're taking Tua with the third pick or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So end of the day, your pick for the Ravens at 28 is your tour gross Matos. You sticking my with that pick, one? I think I'm going to change it right now. Ooh. All right. I like the tinkering. I'm a fan. Um, let me go to my board right now. Let's see my pick for the Ravens right now will be, and we've got the, tw- we're staying at, at 28 right we'll say that right we'll say that right okay for the sake of this we are taking out of the university of iowa to fill in the giant holes of having an iowa guy on our team that's going to be a leader edge rusher aj epinesa okay aj epinesa this is a player who let's look over here all state in football all state in discus scored a thousand points in basketball diverse athlete who is a no-nonsense guy. AJ Epinesa reminds me a little bit of that Ravens way that we saw with Yanda, maybe Haloti Nata, where he was all business, very serious. I met AJ Epinesa at the draft, at the combine. Not many smiles, more all business. (laughs) Could be the the Ravens way. I'm going AJ Epinesa will be the Ravens pick at 28. I like like it. it. All right. Nice. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. If you guys can get one of those curbside pickup times at Wegmans or the Giant or any of those in Owings Mills or any of the Hunt Valley, just let me know because I will <laughs> gladly. We're having, we're having our issues trying to figure that all out online. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for you around Owings Mills. I, right. I, got, I got a little ramen soup in the bunker. I can That's what I'm rolling with, dude. I know. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, thank it's you, awesome. Peter. Awesome. Well, good stuff from Peter. Always good to have a, a Ravens guy on the pod. You know, we're we're actually it's crazy how lucky we are. Mel Kuyper, Baltimore mm-hmm. guy, Maryland guy. Mm-hmm. We got Schrager who's holding it down in the suburbs here <laughs> of Baltimore right now. Then we're gonna have on Daniel Jeremiah, who is a former Ravens scout. I mean, we're talking about ex three of the biggest names in football media, and they're all Ravens guys. Yeah, that's it. true. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and selfishly that helps us when we're trying to get guests for the podcast very true most importantly, <laughs> most importantly, most importantly. <laughs> yeah so what do you think of his pick aj epineza you've been talking about him that's been somebody i mean we're not going to give away our mocks until next week but uh what do you think about that pick that he has right now he has spent some time penciled in as my pick in the first round i'm not saying if he's currently the guy but yeah. i'm just saying at one point over this this arc this process that i'm on he has been the guy he does make a lot of sense um, because when you think about Ravens picks in the first round, oftentimes it's a guy who falls for whatever reason, highly productive, like he talked about, no nonsense, serious guy, going to come in and work hard uh, and be a, 
an immediate impact player, but all of a sudden then people are like, wait, why did this guy fall to that, you know, 28? What, what did we miss? And and then it often ends up being that teams overvalued uh, workout performances in, yeah. in the combine. And then you're like, wait, how did Orlando Brown go in the third round and he's a pro bowler in his second year and he was great in college? What did we miss? Yeah. Like, sometimes that happens and the Ravens are really, really skilled at kind of assessing whether the combine workout is something to be concerned about or whether he just had a bad combine workout, but what he does on the field is much more significant than anything he did in Indianapolis. Well, here's the crazy part. I've I've been thinking, okay, maybe Epidesa is a guy who slips to the Ravens. Then Mel Kuyper releases his, his mock draft, and he's got him, his most recent one, he's got him at number 40. Yeah. Number 40. Right. I'm like, whoa, okay, you know? Yeah. Um, so that just really surprised me. But, I mean, he checks a lot of boxes in terms of a Raven, in terms of, like you're saying, play style, heavy-handed, physical guy. His father, you know, he followed in the footsteps of his father. How many times have we heard that with a Raven, right? right I mean, right. he played basketball and was a discus throw, you know, state championship discus thrower. Ravens eat that stuff up, right? Yeah. I mean, like, this guy is uh, – he could he could definitely be a Raven. I think that that would be a really good pick. I mean, imagine him and Jalen Ferguson, or he Judon Jalen Ferguson for years to come. Mm-hmm. That could that could be pretty nice. Or he steps into the Derek Wolf, you know, spot years down the line, a year or two, whatever down the yeah. line. I mean, I just think that he could be a very good player for the Ravens. Yeah, I think that there's some merit there. So um, we want to read an email here before we wrap up. Um, and as always, you guys can reach us at the lounge. Dot rape lounge at ravens.nfl.net screwed up on the email jeez um, louise you're right the lounge at ravens.nfl.net uh this one comes to us comes to us from scott phillips who says thanks guys for all you're doing and keeping us entertained and fueling our excitement for all things ravens on normal years during the draft which Ravens staff member or role would you most want to have inside the draft room hmm Steve Bashotti? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. I get to have a cigar. (laughs) Cigar in hand, and I'm just kind of watching it all play out, and I know that I'm surrounded by a bunch of the best guys in the business. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is fun, man. This, right, and, and then and he, also he's gets, still involved. Like, yeah, Steve you get will, to you get to kind of provide some some uh, perspective, right, and some critical thinking, and like help. You know, I think what when you listen to Eric and uh, Ozzy or John talk about how Steve is in the draft room, he kind of br- brings that like big picture, business oriented perspective to the entire process, thinking not just like is this guy a good player, but ha- like he's really involved in the trades, and how does this trade affect what you're going to get later in terms of value, and then also even planning like this year maybe two three years down the line like he's very involved in that side of things yeah well you always you always know that the ravens draft is over when you start to smell the cigar smoke on day three (laughs) then you're like all right well they're they're celebrating it's you know it's like the the naming of the pope the white smoke goes up you're like it's all right the draft is done for the ravens you know so steve always likes to uh celebrate with his guys and i eric DaCosta better light one up in, in his bunker that he's drafted from just for her you know to keep the tradition alive i'll say that much so so he also has a second question and he says that erica said he wants her offense to become undefendable yeah uh, outside of a big-bodied uh receiver and offensive line so outside of those two positions what's the next position and what type of player fit do you think uh could most improve our offense well i mean if you're removing receiver and offensive line from the equation you're not going to address quarterback there's not too many options left on the table uh so 
if you're adding anything to the offense, to me, I think my number one would be a stud offensive lineman. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think an offensive lineman probably is the biggest upgrade to this offense. And I, I also go against the notion of the big body wide receiver. Same. To me, to me, it's it's it size doesn't really matter. I think it could be a smaller guy around six foot or whatever, or a little smaller even, who, like Peter Schrager was saying, you know you're not getting many targets. It's what can you do with those targets? So I think, to me, the Ravens want to build a explosive offense, and that means a guy who might only get five targets, but he can take one of them 80 yards. You yeah. know, so that's the kind of target I think the Ra- that suits the Ravens the best right now uh, moving forward and getting this undefendable offense, which I like the sounds. Last year it was revolutionary. Now it's undefendable. Yeah, that's so, the 2.0 offense, the 2.0 version. Hey, um, revolutionary happened, so let's make it happen two times. I, I don't know. This might be giving some thoughts away on my mock, but if you were to go back several years and I would think about a receiver who would be a fit, I would often look at, okay, I would look at the measurables. I would say, start, I would kind of start there and say, all right, this guy is six foot three, 215 pounds. I like that. Yeah. That would be kind of like a starting point. Like, and if I yeah. would look at a guy who's 5'10, I'm like, too small. Yeah. I'm not doing that this year. And oh, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care how, what their size is. I honestly and I don't almost, care. I almost think, to some respects, almost the big guy is almost like a detriment. Or yeah. like if, he, if he, I'm like, ah, 6'3", too big. Too well, big. Here, well, and here's the thing. What did the Chiefs win with last year? No, exactly. Speed. Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill. Those were the guys. Sammy Watkins isn't that big. Track uh, he's team. bigger than those guys. But, he, I mean, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill is tough to compare anybody to because he's, he's such a freak. But McCole Hardman is in that same build as Hill. Just a right. bunch of fast guys. Smaller, fast guys. And now, the, think, the, go ahead. I think that could be the model. Yeah. Now, the difficulty is you still need guys who can block, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's important to have blocking wide receivers for the Ravens. Now, I think Boykin can block really well. Willie Sneed is a very good blocker. So it's not like you can put a, out there a ton of track guys who can't block at all, right? It, it has to be some kind of balance there. But um, but I still lean towards the Ravens could use another Hollywood more than they could use a big blocking, more lumbering wide receiver. Right, right. Um. All right, so uh, that's it for today. Uh, big thanks to Schrager for joining us. You can catch him uh, every day on Good Morning Football. Uh, like you said off the top, Ryan, one of the best shows, especially sports shows on TV. He does a great job. So thanks to him for his time. Um, and stay tuned because coming up later this week on Friday, in Friday's episode of the podcast, we'll be joined by another NFL Network star, uh, and that's the draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah. So we've got a busy, busy week on the podcast front. Uh, you can email us, as I said at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Thanks so hey, much. You got it right that time. Got I got it right, it right that, that time. time. I got it right that time. Uh, we'll be back with you guys on Friday.